0: It perfectly pictures where we minister. We're kind of in the Nineveh of the Northwest, and not many people like to go there. Uh, But you cannot reach them unless you touch them. And uh, we're we're delighted to be here. I tell you what, you have to be completely blind not to see the Lord at work here and to feel the energy of this church and uh, the spirit and the unity. And I, I happen to know that it's not just because... It is Missions Conference. Uh, the testimony of this church precedes you. And uh, my family and I took a vacation this past summer to uh, a road trip to go discover uh, America before it disappears. And uh, <laughs> on the way, we, we stopped here on a Wednesday night, and we wanted to be a part of this church. And uh, to God, to God be the glory, it was just as exciting on that Wednesday night as it is right now. And uh, that that just speaks to what the Lord is doing here. And I know you're here and a part of this church uh, because of that very reason. And if you're a guest, please come back. Don't judge anything by what you hear in the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, I have uh, some missionary gifts to pass out tonight. It's good. I don't have them right now. I'd have to explain that. Uh, You'll understand tonight what I mean by that. A little little unconventional. Uh, I do appreciate the welcome. Uh man, you guys captured uh, the Northwest charm so perfectly with Pike Place Market. Uh, that, that's wonderful. You just need a gum wall. I don't know if the pastor would have allowed that. <laughs> I am grateful it doesn't look like Chaz or Chop Zone. That would have been uh, a little too close to home. Uh, so, uh, thank you for the warm welcome. You even pulled off the rain. I'm not sure how you did that, but... Uh, <laughs> Really good. I really, really appreciate that. I have my wife, Alyssa, here, and uh, some of my sons, I, my middle son, Ethan, he's sick this morning, uh, and uh, so we left him in the hotel. He's a little young to leave by himself, so we left our oldest son, uh, but they were truly excited to be here. My, my, my son asked, Dad, can we watch the service online, because uh, they wanted to be a part of that. Uh, ...and experience this church. And you got to understand, we have a church 35 to 40 people. Uh, this is several times larger than that. And I know I am here, hopefully, to bring a blessing of the Lord from the Word of God to you. Uh, but you have already been a blessing to us. Yeah. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. It's good to be among fellow believers who love God and are passionate about the same things and to share that with you, and uh, boy, we need it. It's good. It's good. God called me to full-time service October 9th of 1994 uh, uh, on a Sunday night while a missionary was preaching, and uh, to be honest, I thought his jokes were super corny, and I don't remember anything he (laughs) preached, Uh, but the Lord used that and convicted me uh, about serving him full time when I was fourteen years old, and i 've never forsaken that call, I followed it to Bible College and uh, uh, took a missions major and just assumed I would go to the foreign mission field i I always pictured in my mind in order to be a missionary you got to cross a body of water somewhere, so uh, I just assumed foreign missionaries uh, foreign missions was what God had for me, and uh, it wasn 't until my final year uh, under uh, Wayne Hardy working in Stillwater, Oklahoma, where Pastor Pyle has come from, um, that I realized uh, missions um, is where the gospel is not preached. Right. And uh, this verse, God got a hold of my heart, Romans chapter 15, <clears throat> this isn't the message, this is, this is the appetizer, but Romans 15:20 says, yea, so I have uh, strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. And God convicted me that missions takes place when you build where there is no foundation, which is where we took the name of our church, Foundation Baptist Church. And 15 years ago, in two weeks, 15 years ago, we planted Foundation Baptist Church in Sammamish, Washington, we are the first and only Baptist church in the history of the city. And uh, as you might know, in the Northwest, many, many attempts at planting churches come and go. And uh, that uh, uh, since we've been there, there's been no exception. There's been many, many churches that have come and go. When we got started, our pulpit uh, came from a different church that had folded. Our hymnals came from another church that folded our um, uh Lord's Supper equipment came from another church that had folded, Uh, but in the goodness of God, he has allowed us to remain there, and in the past 15 years, uh, we've been able to start two other churches, uh, one in Bellevue, they just became independent a month ago and celebrated their charter service after five years, that was exciting, and now we're attempting to plant uh, Emerald City Baptist Church in uh, Seattle, Washington. This morning I'd like to preach to you out of Mark chapter four. If you'd turn there, Mark chapter four. <clears throat> Mark chapter four. It's good to have all of my family here. You'll meet my daughter later. She's a little bit of a prima donna. <laughs> uh, boy, this uh, this morning was. In- I had four boys and then a girl. Girls are different. Yes. That's all I'm gonna say. Mark chapter 4. Would you stand for the reading of the word of God? I'd appreciate that. Mark chapter 4. There is a series of parables here that Christ uses to describe his work on earth. And we're going to tie in to the last two of this chapter, beginning in verse 26, down through 34. We'll read and then pray and get started. The Bible says, in verse 26 of Mark 4, and he said, so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full ear in the corn. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seed's that be in the earth, but when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear uh, hear it, but without a parable he spake not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things unto his disciples. This is not as you would imagine, a traditional Sunday morning message. It is directed directly to disciples of Christ, and it is about the subject of missions. This morning, I'd like to preach to you on this subject, what the kingdom of God is like. What the kingdom of God is like. Father, I'm humbled to have the privilege... To speak to these good people. But whether I had the privilege to speak to them or not. I'm humbled to speak on your behalf. Lord, I pray that you would use me. I pray, Lord, that the word of God would not be hindered by me. That its power would not be squelched. But that it would be felt as Brother the Hohen Street preached this morning. There is power in your word especially when it is spoken. So I pray, Lord, that every heart would be in tune, that we would listen attentively, not just with our ears, but with our spirits, Lord, with our hearts, with all of our being, that we could absorb your truth as you want it to be understood. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. I like to preach expositorily. Fancy word for verse by verse, verse. not because of the style of preaching, but I always know what I'm preaching next Sunday. That just helps me a lot. But one of the benefits of preaching expositorily is you know where you're going and where you've been. And I understand you don't know that. And I've been preaching through Mark. So I want to give you a little bit of background leading into the chapter to explain how we got here, how we got to the subject matter Of chapter 14. And if you'd notice a few verses. I hope to explain from chapter 3. I said chapter 14. Chapter 4 is where we're at now. Let's look at chapter 3 just for a moment. The end of chapter 3. There's a couple of verses. Let me just highlight them quickly and explain. It says in chapter 3 verse 20. And the multitude. Notice the multitude. The multitude cometh together again. So that they could not so much as eat bread. Sounds like things are going well. Sounds like Jesus' ministry is being received. But then, verse twenty-one, and when his friends, friends, when his friends heard of it, they went out and lay, uh, took, uh, went out to lay hold on him, for they said he is beside himself. And the scribes, which came down from Jerusalem, said, He hath Beelzebub. And by the prince of the devils, casteth he out devils. Verse 31 now, it says this. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. Though the crowds were thronging Jesus, and lives were clearly being changed, not everyone was in agreement with the work of Christ, and many friends and foes and even family Felt compelled to tell them about it. And that's what they were here to do. You got friends on one hand. that Now they're looking at the ministry of Jesus. And they're saying, okay, look, I know you're doing good. And I know you're working for God. But you're, you're, you're literally out of your mind. You're not even considering your own health. You're beside, you're beside yourself. Is out of body. You're, you're, you're crazy doing what you're doing. That's encouraging. And then, of course, you have... The foes, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, and they look at him and they said, I tell you why he's hanging around the scum of the earth, because he is the scum of the earth. And if he has power, because it comes from the devil himself. Encouraging. Great response. But then it's his family. His family at the end, they come there and, and their attitude is you can't, keep doing, you can't keep going like this. You can't keep this up. I know the work you are doing is good for everyone else, but you really need to put your family first, and they came to call him back home. Okay, now now take a picture of what's happening here. The multitudes are thronging him, and he's getting really mixed responses from everyone, friends, family, and foes. Whether you're a disciple of Christ or an outsider, you could easily look at the situation and misjudge the success of Christ's mission and the growth of the heavenly kingdom that he was attempting to build. Would you agree with that? You're looking at this and you're trying to gauge, you're an outsider or an insider, either way, and you're trying to figure out okay, I'm trying to figure out how Christ is doing in the mission he has. He's come to build the kingdom of God. How is he doing? Well, Kind of getting mixed signals, right? Amens help. Did you guys do that out here? Uh, (laughs) Help me out a little bit, okay? Uh, I'm I'm in a place I'm, I'm suspicious might be slightly more conservative and may have a little more voice behind the congregation here than maybe I'm normally experiencing. So amens would be great. Amen? All right, okay. Now that means you understand. So don't say it if you don't get it. It'll just make me go longer. <clears throat> but do you understand the point? I mean, if you're trying to look at the situation and judge how things are doing, I don't know how you judge that. And, and these are the disciples. If the disciples were to carry on the work of Christ after he left, they would need to understand what's happening with fresh perspective. I mean, they're probably thinking, okay, he's Jesus and this is the response he's getting and we have to follow him What are we supposed to expect in this ministry, right? I mean, the word is hope on the stage here. I love your theme, hope for all. But honestly, before we will believe there is hope for all, we must believe the message works. You have to be convinced the message works before you believe there is hope for all. And they're getting mixed signals. So in chapter 4, thus Christ began to speak and parables, not, not to confuse, not, not, not to cloudy up the message, but to clarify in new word pictures what the kingdom of God was all about. And I know there's many ways to express the kingdom of God, but I I mean His work here on earth. That's what I mean by by the kingdom of God. I just mean what we're doing here at this missions conference, what we're about. As the the singer just sang, it is not a place to hide and, 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 and resort to, to isolate ourselves from the world. Our kingdom, what our mission is, is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ so that other people get saved. And become disciples and continue to spread, right? That's the mission. That's the kingdom of God here at work. And we need to understand how it works. So Christ shifted at this point. This is the first time he began to speak in parables. And he began to share in parables so that we could get a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. It's a lot like farming. says Jesus. I'm not a farmer. But Jesus says it's a lot like farming. And he opens up chapter 4 with a parable we've, we, we would all be familiar with if you've been in church for a, for a while. In verses 3 through 20, Jesus explains that, the kingdom, that in God's kingdom, it is the condition of the soil of the heart, not the seed or the sower, that makes all the difference in how the message is received. So he opens up with the parable of of the sower, we say. It's really the parable of the soil. And, and, And he's explaining why some takes root and some does not. It's this thing called the heart. And then in verse 21 through 25, we learn that in God's kingdom, his servants have one responsibility. Sow the seed of God's word and leave the rest to God. Do you know what a light does? It shines. That's it. That's all it does. It has one job, shine. And as a sower, our job is to sow. That's it. That's our job. But that's also not all of what the kingdom of God is like. You get down to these last two parables and and you learn some more. It says again in verse 26, and he said, so is the kingdom of God. So he's about to explain some more. To describe what the kingdom of God is like. And then if you keep reading, and down in verse 30, he says, And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? Verse 31, it is like. Okay, so we get to know what the kingdom of God is like. He's gonna tell us what what it's like. And once more, Jesus is about to show us what it's like, and, and, and for this reason, if his disciples, As his disciples observe the mixed response that Jesus is getting and the baffling rejection from those they thought would receive him as king, they need to be reassured what the kingdom of God is like. It's a hard time evaluating how God's kingdom is doing. It's not easy to do that. How is the kingdom of God doing? It's a good question, isn't it? It How is the kingdom of God doing? Uh, From their perspective, in in their situation, was it growing? (laughs) Was it healthy? Were they doing something wrong? Was it strong? Was it weak? Was it irrelevant? Would God's kingdom conquer or would it be conquered? I mean, these are questions they were honestly asking themselves. Were they gaining ground or were they losing it? It was not easy judging the kingdom of God by what they could see with their eyes. Friend, I'm telling you, nothing you don't already know, but not much has changed in 2,000 years. I got to tell you, I don't know how things happened here, seeing that this place is full wall to wall. I'm assuming the Lord's been blessing Amen. and you can see that. Amen. But in the past two years with this whole COVID thing, things have not played out like I assumed they would in the kingdom of God by what I could see. How many, how many were alive at 9-11? <laughs> Okay. How many remember the days after 9/11? Spiritually speaking, and people's response. I was living in Oklahoma City. Going to school, I'll never forget that day, and I'll never forget the change in the culture that followed. I'll never forget, as as we as I've done everywhere. We, you know, we're there at school. I'm studying to be in the ministry, so we're going door knocking on a Saturday and. Going door to door and, and even in Oklahoma, it's the Bible belt. That, don't be fooled. People people brush you off there as much as they do anywhere else. You know, we're knocking doors, and I'm telling you what, I've never seen people more receptive to what I had to say oh, yeah. after 9-11. Oh, yeah. I knocked on this one guy's door, I pulled out an invitation. Hi, my name's Matt. I'm from Southwest Baptist Church. He stopped me. That's as much as I said. He said, You're from a church? Can I go? I need to know about God. It was like the, the people's attitude had changed. Now, it didn't stay changed, but there was a significant change. Almost two years ago now, what was understood to be a deadly disease that was going to kill everybody hit the scene. And we didn't have quite the same response people weren't pounding down the door to learn about God with their life on the line. Now, I don't know what it was like here. I'm just telling you what it was like where I was at. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm telling you, it's just sometimes a little hard to judge how the kingdom of God is doing by what you can see. Do you know what? <laughs> Please forgive me. Uh, you're, you're gonna be afraid to talk to me after I say this, but <laughs> the question I hate getting asked the most, hey, Brother Matt, How's the church doing? (laughs) Well, how do you want to measure that? Uh 15 years ago, we started the church. We began to raise support. And then four years into it, we chartered the church and we we, we organized, we dropped all support, became financially independent. And for the first seven years of our ministry, we began to grow and grow and grow to we're in the 60s with highs in the 80s. It was kind of like, the story of Joseph, seven years of feast, and we're in the other seven years now. And, and for the past five years, we've been in the red every single year. And attendance has dropped. And now, 15 years into it, I'm back on the missions conference circuit to raise support. It's not exactly what I had in mind. Well, don't be so down in the mouth about that. It, uh, I'm just saying, if you come up and ask, so how so how's it going? Today, today is the last Sunday we can meet in our building because our governor is kicking us out for vaccine mandates. So we, we meet in a gym, a YMCA gym. And if you meet in a gym, uh, you have to be able to verify vaccinations. And though churches are exempt, the, the Y does not want to mess with that. So they're, they're saying, look, we're, we're just not going to mess with it. You got to go find somewhere else. They gave us a month to find another place. And so today's the last service. And this morning, as Brother Holland Street is preaching, we have all power. And he's right. He's absolutely right. We have all power through Jesus Christ. I get a text from my members. <laughs> Pastor, we're at church. The power's out. <laughs> you know, th- this... So how's the church doing? I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to judge how the kingdom of God is doing by what you can see with your eyes. Sometimes it's hard to figure out how am I doing witnessing to my brother or my sister or, or, or my coworker or my neighbor. It doesn't seem like anything's taken root. How are things working here in Nampa Valley? How are things in the, in the country? It, sometimes it's hard to judge how the kingdom of God is doing and what it's really like. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it can be discouraging. And then at other times, it can be incredibly encouraging. How do you know? So how is the kingdom of God doing? And more importantly, what should we know about the kingdom of God that will help us understand what it's like, what it's really like, in spite of how it sometimes appears? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because here's why you shouldn't judge the kingdom of God by what you see today. Verse 26, he says... And he said, so is the kingdom of God. As if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full uh, corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth immediately, He putteth in the sickle because the harvest is come. Do you know why you shouldn't judge what the kingdom of God is like by what you can see today? Because there's something about God's kingdom that you need to know, and that is this. There's a time of harvest yet to come. There's a time of reaping yet to come. And Jesus gave this parable for that point And look, I know there's some other things you can pull out of a parable, and we're going to pull out some of them. But parables typically have one point. And Jesus wants his bewildered disciples to understand something about the kingdom that he is building. And it's this. There is a time of reaping yet to come. That is how the kingdom of God works. It's like farming. You see, the growth of God's kingdom follows a process. Well, what process? Well, you can see it here in the passage. Seed must first be planted. You can't get any harvest without the seed first being planted, and it begins with the seed. The seed must be planted into the hearts of men. First, the seed is planted, and then the seed grows in a certain order. Did you see how Mark laid out, the, the process, he didn't just say the seed grows. He, well, he says, first the seed. Let me just read it so I, I don't butcher it since clearly I'm not a farmer. But he says here in verse 26, uh, no, 20, 20, 28. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full uh, corn in the ear. It sounds like a process to me. It sounds like the growth of God's kingdom follows a deliberate process. And you can't change up the process. It has to follow a process. A person does not come to Christ unless they know about Christ. A person does not accept Christ until they feel convicted about their sin. A person does not get forgiveness of sin until they confess their sin. There is a process to follow. That's how the kingdom of God works. First, the seed must be planted into the soil, and then the seed grows in a certain order. And as the farmer goes about his life, the seed grows, I love this, independently of the farmer. Yes, oh, you got to read this part, because whether it encourages you, it really encourages me. And it says right here uh, uh, in, in verse, uh, verse, verse 26, and he said, so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed in the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. Oh, I love that. I I can relate to that. I can relate. Because the farmer simply plants the seed, he waters the seed, sure, he pulls the weeds and he plows the fields, but after the seed is planted and it begins to grow, well, he just waits till it grows. He doesn't actually make it grow. No, the life is in the seed. It's not in the farmer. He makes it, uh, he doesn't make anything grow. Are you hearing that? He just, he's part of the process, yes. But he has to wait for the harvest like anybody else. The farmer anticipates harvest day, but he can do little else. He goes to bed. He gets up, he comes out to his field, and he looks at the field and says, well, there it is. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes back, and oh, sure, he puts up the, the scarecrows and scares away the, the crows, and he waters and he pulls weeds. Sure, fine. But he comes out and he looks at the plant, and, there, and he said, well, there it is again. Uh-huh. And it's grown a little more. Yeah. Yes. Well, what are you excited about? I think it's going to harvest one day. It's going to grow, and then we can harvest it. Well, how are you going to get it there? <laughs> I don't do anything. It grows of its own. God put the growth in the seed. Amen. All I can do is anticipate the harvest. Boy, is that a lot like church planning? <laughs> Man, 15 years ago, planting the church, I had it all figured out. My dad was a church planner. And he's still, still pastoring there 36, 37 years later in Woodinville, Washington. I watched him plant the church. And I, I thank God for the advantage of knowledge that gave me so I could be a little prepared. <laughs> but to think that that would help grow seed <laughs> is ridiculous. And I had, man, I remember Sunday nights at Wooden Valley, uh, my sending church, having whiteboards. Okay, here's the plan. Here's, we're we're going to attack the city, and we're going to pass out tracks, and we're going to do this. And, and we did. We passed out like, I forget how many, how, 7,000 tracks in 14 days. And we just blitzed the area, and we had newspaper ads, and we had just all kinds of things going on. All kinds of things. Boy, that first service, we had like 50 people. Two of them were from the community. But we had like lots of help, lots of helpers. Lots of helpers. And you know, we we just tried so hard and and we had our five-year plan and then we had our 10-year plan. And now I'm 15 years in it. I have no plan. I don't know what's happening. I I, I go out there. I water the seed and I wait for it to grow. (laughs) Like, there's a person here who listened to the preaching today. Maybe the word of God will take root. Now, I want to be there for that person and I want to help cultivate him if I can. But if he doesn't take the seed... You know, it does relieve a lot of pressure off the farmer. Yes, it does. And you be the farmers. Because right. your job is to sow the seed and understand this point. I know you don't see it today, but there is a harvest yet to come. If you'll sow the seed. There's a harvest yet to come. What, what should we do then? I think it's pretty obvious. Sow the seed. Sow the seed in the hearts of men. Yeah, but I've been sowing for so long. And there still hasn't been a harvest. It doesn't mean it's not coming. And if you stop sowing today, there's going to be a huge gap of harvest later on. Keep sowing the seed. You don't know what the seed is doing. You don't control that. No, should we not take the advice of James... Chapter five, verse seven and eight. Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Friend, I don't know if harvest means when he splits the clouds and comes back to take us home or you'll get to see any in your lifetime. I don't know what will come first, but keep, sowing the seed because there is a harvest yet to come. Man, I remember door knocking in our area. And, and if you're from, anyone from the Northwest? Anybody? Okay, I had, I've been wondering when I would ask this question. How many are here uh, uh, deliberately migrated here from the left coast? That's what I thought. If you're from Washington, you would have known <clears throat> that this statement is true. There is, a, there is a Seattle freeze, is what they call it, in Washington. That People are, are generally a little cold, and, and, and they're very passive-aggressive. <laughs> they're not direct with you. They might not like you, but they'll smile at you. And that, they got a little passive-aggressive action going on. And that's normally what I'm used to. And one day I was knocking doors, and this guy came to the door. He opens the door with a gun. And he points it at me, like, what are you, blinking? And like, what? I, I don't know what it was about that scenario. It definitely wasn't passive-aggressive, and that's probably what drew me to him. Uh, I, but I was like, i got to visit this guy again. So we, we talked for a moment, and, you know, nothing came of it. He wanted me off of his property, but I said, okay. I'll, I'll come back later. And so, you know, I did for the next few weeks. I, I, I visited once or twice more. He was still just as angry as the first time. But I left him a track. I gave him a track. His name was Briss. And I gave him a track, and I left it with him. And then I forgot about him. There are certain prospects you think, probably nothing coming from that. And that was one of them. And then a year later, <laughs> a year later, I'm in my home, and I got a call. <clears throat> Foundation Baptist Church. Is this the guy who gave me that piece of paper a year ago from that church? <laughs> yes, it is. I said, well, I read it. <laughs> and I need what's on it. Amen. And I need you to come over here right now and tell me how to do it. Amen. And I got to go to Briss's home. 80-year-old man, and sit in his living room and lead him to Christ. Amen. How'd that happen? I can tell you I did nothing. It's the seed that did all the work. I didn't even bother waiting for the harvest on that. I just sowed the seed. Well, nothing more is coming there. And God produced fruit. Fruit. A week later, he could barely walk. He somehow managed to get in his Jeep and drive to our church, and I'm preaching. He came to our church, first time ever uh, in a church other than like a Catholic church for uh, weddings and funerals. And he walked, and he sat in church, and I'm preaching away, and he starts waving his hand, and that's a little unusual. You usually don't call people out in the middle of your preaching, but he keeps waving his hand, and I'm trying to pretend like I don't see him, you know. <laughs> and finally, it's like, Yes, brist. you know, just biting my tongue, hoping this goes well. And, and he says, I don't know why I'm here, but he came and, and, and he gave me what he's trying to give you right now. And I can't even believe I'm saying this, but it changed my life. And I want everyone to know you need what he says. Couldn't believe it. Because some seed was sown. There is a harvest yet to come if you'll sow. If you'll sow. But there can be no harvest where the seed has not been planted. You're right. You just can't reap where you haven't sown. Right. Right. The fruit of your labor will not be seen immediately. But sow the seed. Amen. Sow the seed. Amen. You realize that the seed's success <laughs> does not depend on our feeble efforts. You think you're going to blow it when you're talking to your friend at school? Maybe one of you guys? Man, I can't talk to somebody else at school. I'm too embarrassed. And all the gospel depends on your ability to communicate. (laughs) Friend, just sow the seed. The power is not in you, the power is in the seed. It's in the seed. It's in the seed. It's the seed that does the real work. We just make a mess of things. It's the, it's the seed that does all the growing. We Man, we probably plant more weeds than we pull up. <laughs> all the work's in the seed. It's in the seed. Listen, you got to get this point. We are servants in God's kingdom, not its cause. We're servants, we serve the kingdom. Boy, if I wasn't here, the kingdom of God wouldn't go forward. Friend, you're not the cause of the kingdom. And here's the 12 disciples, they're listening into Jesus, having really mixed responses, thinking to himself, how in the world are we gonna carry on that mission? I mean, it's all relying on us, right? No, you just serve the kingdom, you're not its cause. You sow the seed, the seed does the work. And God brings the harvest, but you've got to sow the seed and believe this assuredly. There is a harvest yet to come. There is a harvest yet to come. Don't write off your labor for God by what you see today. I know sometimes it seems like our work is inconsequential. I know after 15 years of being in Sammamish and planting the church and watching it grow and watching it get cut in half, sometimes it feels very inconsequential. But friend... It's just preparation for a harvest later. Amen. And I don't know, and I cannot say if that harvest will be visualized in Sammamish, but there is a harvest at the kingdom of God that will be reaped when the seed is sown. Amen. Keep sowing. Amen. God will reap where you sow. Keep sowing. Keep sowing. Amen. Man, I, I, maybe you've got, as in our church, there was a, a, an older lady, Phyllis Hudson, a mom of one of the attendees of our church, one of the members of our church. And every week, every week, Valerie Valerie would raise her hand and say, would you pray for my mom, Phyllis? She's lost. She's lost. She's in her 90s. Every week, every week she'd pray, please pray for my mom. And man, she'd come to church every once in a while on a Mother's Day. I've never met a more intimidating lady in my life. She, She was a secretary to many presidents of Bellevue College, very highly regarded in the community, very polite, very kind, very high class, just had that kind of look where even a smile could make you shrink about to an inch, you know, <laughs> that was just th- that kind of a personality, you know, and she tolerated me, I, I was a little too active for her, pre- for her style, I suppose, but she'd come and, sh- and she'd appreciate at least my passion, if not my delivery. And you know, she would pray every week, please pray that she get saved. She broke her hip and I came uh, to the hospital and I visited Phyllis and I began to talk to her about healing and growth and of course I brought up the gospel. Shut me off. Months later, did not get better. 92 years old, she ended up in hospice. She just had a month or two to live. She's laying there and she's at death's door. And I came and I visited Phyllis again and, 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 and Ron and Valerie. Please, Pastor, go talk to her. Please go tell her about Jesus. Please pray for my mom. So I said, Yeah. So I went in there and I began to talk to Phyllis. Hey, Phyllis, how you doing? We're all praying for you at church. She could barely communicate. Thank you, Pastor. And we began to talk. And over the next hour and 15 minutes, I gave her the gospel six times. Six times. And I wasn't trying to force it down her throat, but I'd give her the gospel, and she'd listen intentively, and I could tell she was hungry for what I was saying, but she was too proud to admit she was a sinner. And we came to that last part, and I'd say, Phyllis, would you like to accept Jesus as your Savior? And and she'd get just welled up with emotion and switch the subject. And began to talk about something else and I'd work my way back around and I'd say, Phyllis, would you like to accept Jesus as your savior? And she'd get all welled up with emotion again and she'd switch the subject. Six times this happened. And finally on the sixth time, I said, Phyllis, let me be honest. I don't want to offer you something you don't want. But this is the last time I'm going to offer it. And it's most likely the last time I'll ever see you again. You know you're going to die. Would you like to accept Jesus as your Savior? And finally she said yes. She broke down started crying. And right there in that hospice bed prayed and accepted Jesus as her Savior. Friend, there's a harvest yet to come. There will be reaping yet to come if you don't quit sowing. But there's more to it. I'm sorry. It's a little long to get to the second point. But there's another parable. Because the beginning is not a measure of the end. Now, I know this sounds similar, but they are different points. There is a harvest yet to come. And the beginning is not a measure of the end. It says in verse 30, and he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like the grain of a mustard seed which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all the herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Jesus here does not necessarily compare the kingdom of God to a mustard seed, but what happens to a mustard seed? In keeping with the farming analogy, God transforms a tiny speck of mustard seed like no other planted herb. My mom passed away at 42. She died of cancer. If you knew my mom, you would have known, in my opinion, the most God-fearing, faith-filled woman I have ever met. That was my mom. And when she passed away, my dad asked if there were any belongings that we wanted of mom from her jewelry And she didn't really have a lot, but there was one thing I wanted. It was completely worthless. It wasn't of any precious metal, but it was a little pin up here for her lapel. And it had a tiny little vial with a few mustard seeds in it. And that was my mom. It just reminded me of her because she lived by faith as clearly as anyone I've ever read in Scripture. A mustard seed, the size of a pinhead, planted in the ground grows as high as 6 to 10 feet out there in the Middle East. That's big. It'd be really hard to judge the end of that plant by its beginning. You'd never know. You'd never know. Here's the point. You cannot anticipate the end. You cannot anticipate what the end will be like From the beginning right now. You can't. You don't know what it's going to be like. You don't know who it's going to affect. You don't know how it's going to affect them. Brother uh, Lance Hohenstreet. He mentioned that he knew a man in our church. Joel Creekmore. Joel Creekmore and Brother Lance were in Kempo together. Is that correct? Or daughter or something along those lines. We'll figure out the connections afterwards. He brought it up. So I know it's true. So they, they were connected to Joel Creekmore down in uh, Puyallup, Washington. Joel Creekmore started attending a Kempo class down there because he, his uh, Kempo teacher was part of that church. And he called out to him and said, Hey, I'm, I'm teaching again. Would you like to come join me? So he drove from Redmond down there and, and began to work in this Kempo class. And there, in Kempo, Joel Creekmore, at 30 years old, got saved. He got saved a little tiny seed, I mean a tiny little seed of the Word of God was planted in his heart as a 30-year-old man, and it began to grow. Joel was a successful businessman, worked for Microsoft, so did his wife for many, many years. He was a senior director, I and mean, he was high up the food chain, and doing well, and had a career that was on an upward trend. And God began to work on his heart. God began to mold him and shape him for his kingdom work. And a month ago, he chartered Bellevue Baptist Church out of our church and gave up his career at Microsoft to do so. I'm telling you, to see what it is today, you'd never know it by its beginning. You'd never know that it would reach that end from simply an invitation to come practice Kempo together. But you just don't know. Friend... This is what the kingdom of God is like, not because I say so, but because the word of God says so. That Jesus himself said, I want you to know this as you venture out on my behalf. You won't be able to judge the end from the beginning. So don't try. Don't try. Don't look at what you have around you and begin to estimate how things are going. You're not going to be able to do that. There's going to be some high times. I'm telling you what, being here is a high time for me. It's exciting to be in this church, in in my opinion, in a harvest time where where seed has been planted and it's begun to be reaped from Brother Cook that planted back in 2007. Who knew that this would begin to happen? Who knew that the Lord would bless in this fashion? But God is blessing. And sometimes you're going to be in a place where you don't see anything at all. Where it doesn't look like anything's happening. Friend, don't judge the end by the beginning. There's coming a day when the fowls of the air will lodge in the branches. Those fowls back in the parable of the soils and the sower... Those fowls were eating up the seed. Those fowls were the enemy of Christ. Those fowls were the ones like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests. Eating up what God was trying to feed to the people. And yet you get to the book of Acts. And it says a great multitude of priests came to know Jesus Christ and lodged in the branches. Who knew? Who knew that the word of God would grow like that? Acts chapter 6 verse 7. The word of God increased. And the number of the the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to to, to the faith. They're lodging in the branches. Man, what a thought. So what should we do? It sounds like we should wait patiently. God's at work. First, <laughs> there's a harvest time coming. What should we do? Sow the seed. Amen. Well, well, then what? Okay. Uh, wait patiently. God's at work. Amen. I can't see it, though. Are you judging the end? By like the beginning? You can't do that. Sow the seed. Well, then what? Wait patiently. God's at work. Amen. Sow the seed. Wait patiently. Amen. That's it. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Well, you don't know what it's like up in the Northwest. Man, I, I could give you all the sob stories if you want them. I feel them. I, I'm real, Honestly, it's hard for me to be here today when I know what might be going through the minds of our church today as they meet literally in the dark. They're meeting with no power. The power is out, and it's the last service, and we're getting kicked out. It was hard for me to be here today. I feel like I need to be there and encourage them. Okay, I know it's not looking the greatest at the moment, but keep sowing the seed. God's at work. Keep sowing the seed. You cannot judge the end by the beginning. Sow the seed. Sow the seed. Sow the seed. One of our favorite songs, (laughs) and right now it's still our favorite song, 15 years later, Little is Much When God is in It. (laughs) Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it. If you'll go in Jesus' name. Little is much when God is in it. You just never know. Keep sowing. Keep sowing. Keep sowing. It's deceptively small beginning. Does not doom it to insignificance. Friend. Friend. Jesus, with 12 worthless men, changed the world. Keep sowing. Keep sowing. A few weeks after we got started, uh, an older gentleman started attending our church occasionally. I come to find out he was uh, an Anglican pastor. (laughs) And he was on a rotation. He, He would come once a month because with his Anglican church, they would rotate. They, they, they would preach in, in turns or whatever. So whenever it wasn't he was, his turn, once a month or so, he'd come with his wife. I'll never forget the first Sunday I saw him. I'm teaching on Baptist history, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, please, don't let me make eye contact with him. I'm like, <clears throat> So here's the church that Jesus started here's the Anglican church, didn't start with Christ, you know, and, you know, and, and they're, 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 they're in the crowd, and they're kind of grand, grandfathery, grandmothery, and they're, they love me, you know, and they're smiling until that moment, and they're like, what, what's going on, you know, what are you saying? And, and uh, oh, man, I never thought they'd stick around. That's 15 years ago. And they listened, and, and, you know, they kept coming occasionally when he wasn't preaching at his Anglican church. And, boy, they, they began to, to grow to love us. Ed and Joan, but it's a little bit hard to overcome that hurdle. <laughs> I'd have to rebaptize him <laughs> for him to join. And he's, he, he was more than just an Anglican pastor. He was uh, a decorated war vet in Vietnam, shot down, crashed in the jungle, and broke his back on impact, pulled himself out of his plane, hid in the jungle for three days from the Viet Cong, and survived. I mean, he's just, he's not your normal dude. <laughs> <clears throat> and here I, I'm young enough to be his grandkid, and I'm saying, I need to rebaptize you. I didn't think anything would ever come of that. A few years later, <clears throat> about three years into our ministry, Ron and Valerie Johnson, I mentioned to their mom that I got saved. They were my cheerleaders. Man, you never met a couple with more energy in church. They're Pentecostal. And I did my best to make them Baptists. They got Bapticostal. That was about as close as I could get them. And I was working on them. And, and, uh, and trying to bring them to Christ. Or not to Christ. But, but to, to, to doctrine. And, and let them uh, understand what the Bible teaches about that. But. Ron needed to get rebaptized. I baptized Valerie, but Ron wouldn't because not only was he a Pentecostal, he was an ordained Pentecostal preacher. And he had such an incredible experience when he got baptized. He could not let that go. And man, seven years they attended our church. At that time, it was 10 years for Ed and Joan. Seven years into it, though, Ron got a brain tumor. He knew he was gonna die. He had about four to six months to live. And he came to me and he says, Pastor, I know I'm going to die. Um, but before I go, I want to be a part of this church. Because when I die, I want to be a part of the greatest church on earth. That's what he said. And I believe it. So I need to get rebaptized. And he said, but before I do, do you mind if I give a testimony at church? He said, sure, so he got up, and and you got to understand. He, again, Baptist Castle is the closest I ever got him, but he got up, and and he starts going, and 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 at first he's like, Man, Pastor, for seven years have been asking me to get rebaptized. I'm like, What in the world do I need to do? What's the big deal? And like, where's this going? You're not helping at all. And finally, he said, But then I got a, a tumor, and I realized I was going to die. And I thought, You know what? I'm just going to do it. I got to be a member. And then he said this. And after I decided to do it. I thought to myself, what have I been waiting for? What a worthless waste of time. Is What's the big deal about getting rebaptized? This is the greatest church, and I wasted my time waiting. After church, a man came to me, Ed Miller. He says, you know, I was listening to Brother Ron, and I agree with him. This is the greatest church. I think I'd like to be a part of it, too. Would you rebaptize me? So on that day, I baptized an Anglican pastor and a Pentecostal preacher <laughs> after seven and ten years of waiting. And because they got baptized, within two months, 14 other people got baptized. I would have never, I would have never judged that end. By that beginning. Just never would have done it. Never. I know. It may seem like the kingdom of God. Is insignificant. At the beginning. But it's really not a. But it's really not a reflection. Of what the end will be like. It's not. You know. We live in an age that doesn't lend itself to patience. Especially the patience of farming. Farming. Right. We're always in a hurry. Sometimes we expect to plow the field, plant the seed, reap the harvest, thresh the gain, grain, bake the bread all in one service. Or in one conversation with a loved one. And nothing seems to happen. And sometimes we throw up our hand. Hey, man, what's the point? Didn't seem to do anything. Friend, sow the seed. Be patient. God's at work. When nothing happens, sometimes we're, we're tempted to feel as helpless as a farmer who can do nothing to produce a harvest but to go out and do his job and be faithful to his work. But, friend, God is at work. Sow the seed, be patient. God is at work. Don't judge the seed of God's kingdom by what you see today. God is at work. Plant the seed. Wait patiently. God is at work. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Father, I need this message as much as anybody else does because I am so prone to judge the growth of your kingdom by what I can see. How foolish. You tried to tell us. You made it so clear. Your kingdom has a harvest yet to come. And the beginning, it's never a measure of the end. Let us do our job. Let us sow the seed and be patient. Speak to each and every heart in Jesus' name, amen. If you guys stand for the invitation, I'm going to encourage